0: Welcome back to the podcast. Today, we're going to talk about how to finish any project in just six steps. So if you are a person who identifies as a half finisher, meaning you have tons of projects that you've started, but you haven't finished, this is definitely the episode for you. And I want to just give you the thought right away. There are only six steps that I need to take. So I'm going to give you a quick overview of the six steps. We're going to talk about why they're important as a collection of steps. And then we're going to go into each step individually. And I'm going to tell you the number one hesitation that I normally hear from my clients about each one, and then how I respond to that so that you can use these moving forward. The first step of the half-finished to done live process is to take inventory of all of your half-finished projects. Step two is to choose one to work on and table the rest. Step three is to plan for your chosen project. Step four is to put that project on your calendar. Step five is to execute on the schedule that's now on your calendar. And then step six is to evaluate along the way and at the end of the project as well. I wanna talk about the benefit of doing it this way. There's a few different benefits here. The first thing that you're doing is you're closing tons of open loops in your mind When you take the project inventory, because then you're going to be able to direct your focus and your energy to just one thing at a time. You're also tapping into the most conscious, strategic, proactive part of your brain, and you're settling down the reactive worried part. You're going to hit the perfect balance of planning. So you're not under planning. You're not winging it, but you're not over planning either. You're not getting into a place where you're endlessly tinkering with your plan and not actually taking action. You're also going to have very clear metrics to track and manage, which means that you're not just letting things happen. You're not feeling like your success is mysterious when you do get to the end of a project. You know how to create systems that you can then replicate for your next project. And then as you go, you're going to study what's working. You can replicate and amplify those successes. And then you're also going to look at what's not working so that you can calmly troubleshoot instead of spinning out. And then dropping the project altogether. Here's another major benefit of doing projects this way I want you to think about every single project that you're ever gonna do for the rest of time every personal project, every business project, every solo project, every project that requires the team, right? Anything. And I want you to think about if you truly believe every project is just six steps. And I know what my steps are, I know how to customize them to make them my own how much more relaxed and reassured are you going to feel as you take on projects in the future? So that is a huge benefit of having a proven process like this at hand. You're like, I got this. I can take on anything. Let's get into the first step, which again is take inventory of all of your half finished projects. So the reason that this step is so important is because the average business owner who comes to work with me has 20 plus half finished projects in their business. I've seen up to 50 projects on a, project inventory. I want you to think about all of the mental and emotional space that these projects take up, even if you're not actively working on them. So when you take your project inventory, you're going to list out every project that is taking up any real estate in your mind. So the two most common objections or hesitations that I get from my clients about this step is one, I don't have time. It doesn't matter. It's not important. That's the first Or two, I don't want to see my list. So let's address that first one. When you don't take a project inventory first, what happens is you're constantly feeling distracted, even if it's subtly, by all the projects that are still open in your mind. The other thing that this inventory helps you do is to use your brain as a processing tool, right? To use it for critical thinking and strategy and making decisions, not as a storage unit. So you want to write it all down so that you're not using your working memory to hold on to all of these ideas. You want to get them documented. So let's talk about that second reason why people don't love to do the inventory sometimes is they don't want to come face-to-face with all of the projects that they've left half-finished. They're worried that when they write down all of these projects, they're going to feel guilt and shame and embarrassment. And the truth is, if this is you, you might feel all those things. But I always say, better out than in, you're either going to have them in your brain festering as open loops Or you can have them on paper, you can confront them head on, you can look at the negative emotions that come up for you and work your way through those emotions and then you can actually close the loops and make a decision about what to work on. So there are so many benefits of coming face-to-face with this project inventory. Your second step is to choose one project to work on and table the rest. Now, when I say table the rest, you're gonna have three options. As you go through your inventory, you can choose to dump, So just get rid of altogether delegate where you outsource to someone or delay where you consciously decide that you're going to do a project, but you're just going to do it at a later point. So again, dump, delegate, or delay, and you're going to use process of elimination to whittle down into just one remaining project. In my program, Half Finished to Done Live, I give you really specific criteria for how to decide what project to work on specifically. But I will say that as you do the inventory and as you dump, delegate, and delay, the choice becomes very, very evident. So you know that you're working on the right project because it'll just become crystal clear as you go through this process. Now, the biggest benefit of this process, other than knowing exactly what project you're gonna work on moving forward, is that you can intentionally and consciously put projects aside and now you don't have to spend any time or energy feeling guilty about not working on them. You're like, of course I'm not working on them. I made that decision consciously. So that frees you up from the fear of procrastination. And hands down, the number one objection that I get to this step is, but I don't want to work on just one project. I want to work on all of the projects. So if that is you, listen up. The first thing I want to say is you want to work on all of your projects, but are you? Most people who come to me come to me specifically because they do want to work on all their projects, but they're not. So they're working on none. So one project might not feel like enough, but I want you to remind yourself one project is more than zero projects. One project finished is way better than zero projects half finished. I also just want to point out that some people do have businesses or jobs where it requires you to have more than one project going at a time. So you have different stakeholders, you have different project-based work. That's totally okay. It's not inherently a bad thing to work on more than one project at a time. But what I will recommend is that you first choose your number one project and you create your project plan and you schedule that and then you see what you still have the capacity to do one of the number one mistakes that I see my clients make is that they are trying to do more than they can possibly physically, mentally, and emotionally get done. So when you go through this process, you're really understanding your current capacity and you're planning accordingly. And sometimes that requires making really tough decisions about what you're not going to do. So again, it's not that you just have to choose one project for the sake of choosing one project. It's that you want to match your current capacity to the number of projects you take on and just make sure you're being incredibly realistic with yourself about that. So now you know what project you're working on, or in the words of one of my clients, you have your chosen project, which I always think sounds so official, and now you get to make your project plan. Now, I always joke that my best friend one time had the audacity to tell me that she doesn't believe in project planning. And I'm like, if you know me, I did not let her off the hook until she agreed with me that project plans are amazing. But I tell you this because we generally have been taught or not taught, as the case may be, to do shitty project plans, right? We're not making project plans that are guaranteed that are amazing. So I'm going to do a quick overview of this, and then I'll dive into this on another episode. But the process that I use is results-based planning. So instead of figuring out what action steps you need to take, you're first going to figure out what is the result that I want to create, how am I going to measure that result and know when I've accomplished it, and what is the date that I'm going to do that by. And I always tell my clients, if you freak out as soon as you make your project plan, that's totally normal because now you've actually put a time and a date to it and now it feels very real. You're then going to figure out if I were to guarantee this result, what are the action steps that I would need to take and what is most likely to trip me up along the way. So I have my clients look at their most common obstacles that have popped up for them in the past. And those obstacles can be mental, emotional, or logistical. So I'll give you an example. If you're a person who tends to get bored halfway through a project, we want to know that and we want to account for that in your project plan. So you're going to write down, here's the point at which I normally get bored. Here's what I'm going to do about it this time. Or I'm a person who gets really sidetracked by other people's priorities. I have a tendency to say yes to everything people want me to do. You're going to write that down. You're going to write down, who am I most likely to people please? And what am I going to do instead this time? So you're making a full list of obstacles, and then you're putting those strategies right into your project plan. This is what makes your project plan Way more foolproof. From here, you're going to allocate time blocks. So you're going to tell yourself how much time you're going to give to every single task that you put on your list. You want to assign the time and you want to make sure that you're on board with yourself about the amount of time that you assigned. Not too much so that you get distracted, but not too little that you're going to feel rushed or pressured. And then I think this one is actually the secret sauce of the project plan besides the obstacles and strategy, which is also super important. The last step that I have my clients do is sell themselves on their plan. So I walk them through a series of questions and I want them to use those questions to be completely on board with their project plan. So they agree with themselves that this plan makes perfect sense, that it's a doable plan, that it's a realistic plan, that it's an exciting and engaging plan, right? They're going to pump themselves up for working on this project. And if they find anything in the project plan that they don't think is doable, realistic, and engaging, then that's their opportunity to go back to the plan, revise it, so that it's a plan that they actually want to follow. The number one objection that I get on this step of planning for your chosen project is mostly just, I don't think project plans work, but I will say that a lot of that tends to dissipate when I explain the different steps because most people are like, oh yeah, you're right, I haven't actually worked a plan this specifically. So that mostly goes away. And then I would say the other thing that comes up is people have the thought, I don't have time to make this plan. So the way that I teach project planning, it takes about 90 minutes to make this plan. And I want you to think about how much time you save over the course of, at this point, the next six weeks in your eight-week sprint when you have a plan that you understand, you always know the next step to take, you know where you're going to struggle and how to get back up. Think about the time savings of that. I'll just tell you this is way more than 90 minutes. So this is a perfect time to implement the thought. I'm going to slow down in order to speed up. All right. On to step four, which is to schedule your plan onto your calendar. Now, I know a lot of people have some thoughts about calendaring. We can for sure talk about that when we get to objections, But at this point, calendaring should actually be fairly simple because you know the action steps you're going to take and you know how long you've allocated for each of those action steps. So now it's just about strategically putting it onto your calendar in a way that you are most likely to follow. So one example of that is don't ask yourself to do deep work where you're really tuning things out and thinking critically in the morning at 8 a.m. when you have to get your kids ready for school. Or my example would be I do not put deep work on my calendar at 5 p.m. because my brain tends to be very negative at that time of day and I don't think as well. So my deep work always happens in the morning. So just make sure that you're putting it onto your calendar at a time that works for you that you're most likely to follow. So hands down, one of the biggest benefits of putting your plan on your calendar besides the fact that it's now on your calendar and you can just show up and follow it is that it requires you to look at your calendar through a critical lens of what's on my calendar currently that's gotta go in order to make space for this project. So I'll record an episode about calendar audits at some point, but I just want you to look at your calendar and ask yourself what on here is low value or things I don't want to do that don't contribute to the results that I want within my project that I could get rid of even or especially if it's uncomfortable to do so. And I will say that fitting your project in with your other obligations, your other commitments is a huge part of what we work on in my program, Half Finished to Done Live. What I tend to find is that people are reluctant to focus so much of their time and attention on their project, but their project is actually the thing that lights them up and moves them forward. And it means that we get to get super creative about all the other shit, for lack of a better word, that's on your calendar that shouldn't actually be there. So the number one objection that I get about putting it onto your calendar is that most people are like, yeah, I'm going to put it there, but I'm not actually going to follow through on it just based on historical data. And I just want to tell you that's totally normal. Most people have tried time blocking in some capacity in the past but they don't feel like it was successful. So now they feel nervous naturally to put things on their calendar, fearing that they won't follow through. Just rest assured that you can still put your plan onto your calendar because the next step, step five, is actually all about training yourself to follow through on what's on your calendar. So you don't already need to know how to do that. All right, step five, execute on your calendar. So I do teach this in depth in my program, Half Finished to Done Live. So if calendaring for your week is something that you want to learn, for sure join the program because we spend a lot of time on that. But I'll give you an overview here. Executing on your calendar comes down to one very, very simple concept. You follow through on what's on your calendar when the voice in your head that tells you to follow through is louder, more frequent, and more compelling than the voice that tells you not to show up. I think of this like a seesaw. So you're always on the seesaw between showing up and not showing up, but you can totally tip the seesaw in favor of showing up if you train yourself. So the number one question that you can ask yourself at this point, if you have something on your calendar that you want to show up for is why is it important to show up? And then let yourself answer that question. You'll also want to get very, very familiar with all the reasons why you don't show up. So that could be thoughts like, I don't want to, I can do it tomorrow, there's something else more urgent and important to do, well, something more exciting came up, right? There's all these different reasons why we don't show up to our calendar. So just start noticing what are your most common reasons and what if you could overcome those reasons and show up anyway. The caveat here is that sometimes there is something that comes up that is truly more important than what's on your calendar. So I always use the example, if you're a parent, if your child breaks a bone, that's probably going to be more important to handle than showing up for your deep work block for your project. So only you get to decide what's more important than the times that you have previously scheduled on your calendar in order to work on your project. You get to decide what trumps those and just make sure that you understand your reasons and you like your reasons when you do let things take precedence. All right. You've made it to step six, which is evaluate along the way and at the end of your project. So when I say evaluate, we use a really simple three question format, which is what's working and why? What's not working and why? What am I going to do differently next time and why? So I have my clients use these three questions on a weekly basis. So every week for your homework, you report in on these three questions. And I have them work through these same questions at the end of their project so they can look back at the entire project process, understand what's working so they can replicate it, understand what's not working so they can change it, and then give themselves a really specific plan for the next project. A hundred percent, the number one objection that I get to this step of evaluating is people go straight to, well, I don't want to see all the things I did wrong. And what I say to that is notice how the first question is what's working or what worked and your brain completely skipped over that and went straight to your failures and your challenges. So I just love to draw attention to that. It's like, what if you first stopped at what's already working? What would be the benefit of training your brain to find things that are working well? And I'll tell you the benefits of those. One, you would do more of them, which means more success but you also feel better along the way. So instead of having your projects feel really heavy and filled with angst, you're finding and creating wins all along the way. So some examples of things you might evaluate is like, here's the percent of work blocks that I showed up for this week. I scheduled 10 work blocks on my calendar and I showed up for eight. Here's why I showed up for those eight. Here's what I was thinking that made me motivated to show up. And here's why I didn't show up for the other two. Right here's what I let get in the way of showing up, and here's what I'm going to do differently about that next time. These self-evaluations are so crucial for understanding the way that you operate and changing the way that you operate. I think the skill of self-evaluation is one of the most underrated skills that we can possibly develop as humans, but specifically as business owners as well. So again, this skill set of evaluating as you go is so good for noticing where things are off track week over week so that you can course correct, but it's also really powerful when you look back retroactively on your entire eight-week sprint because it'll give you a bird's-eye view of everything that happened, and it's just going to make you feel so much more clear and compelled to go into your next project. So when you're not self-evaluating, you're like, I don't know what happened. I'm not that excited about my next project because I don't really know what's going on in my brain. But when you do self-evaluate, you're like, I understand myself. I understand my project finishing process. I'm so ready for project number two. And there you have it. All six steps that you need to have in order to take any project from half finished to done. And when we work together in my program, half finished to done, we'll have such a clear measurement, such a clear measuring stick of where things maybe went awry or went off the rails. So at any point, if you're struggling, we can say, okay, well, great. You just need to go back to step four of scheduling it on your calendar. Or let's just evaluate what's going on in step six. Or maybe you didn't actually take a full project inventory. Let's go back and take a project inventory so you can actually table everything, right? We'll know exactly where to look because there's only six places that are relevant. Thank you so much for tuning in and I will talk to you in the next episode. In the meantime, enjoy working on your projects. Thank you for listening to the Half Finished to Done podcast. If you're ready to become a self-assured repeat project finisher, the best place to work with me is in my eight-week group coaching program, Half Finished to Done, live. You'll leave our time together with one finished project and the skills you need to finish any project, personal or business, in the future. Just head to peakcoaching.co slash hfdlive for your next step. Can't wait to work with you.